Hey everybody, it's Lance Dawson from Backstage Lowdown. This week, Andrew Stewart and I are in the studio with Rose Cora Perry. She is a London rocker. She plays guitar, she writes and records her own music. She's been a record producer and she's articulate. She's funny, she's entertaining, and most of all, she's incredibly talented. We had a lot of fun getting to know her and chatting with her, so uh, here you go. What'd you guys talk about anyway? You just chat for five minutes? Yeah, we talked about uh you wanna know what we talked about? Mm, not we, really. we we if because this could be in the intro. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, we both think you have butt implants. Well, I do. <laughs> exactly. Like I mean these these cheeks don't get the way they are naturally. As many of squats that I do, you cannot you cannot bring it. Without yes. the help of implants. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. You know, I you know. got you got to a certain age where everything just starts to droop. It it starts from your forehead and works down to your ankles. And <laughs> okay, and, and your your butt is just one of those things that starts to go along with it. So I uh, I took it upon myself to keep myself looking fine. And got myself some butt implants. You do. They're not fun. cheap, you know. I, but I know. Well worth it. Are they? They're worth it. Yeah. You didn't think like just a different pair of jeans would have been the way Maybe. to go on that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, no. Yeah. No. I have one pair of jeans, and I need to fill them out. And if it All didn't right. do it before, implants were the way to go. You are committed. I will say mm -hmm. that, or you should be committed. <laughs> I think I think that's the case. What do, what is a butt implant cost you nowadays? Are you seriously asking as if I would know that? I I, I don't, don't know. You may have come across it in my in your world. Yeah, in just your no. in your Google search history, kind of like you're just having a no. drunk night, kind of like, hey, I wonder what butt implants, butt implants cost. cost. No, no, no. Um, I haven't. I hair implants, asking. maybe, but not <laughs> butt implants. <laughs> You know, okay okay well let's just let's... talk about reality i don't know yeah i'm still hanging in it's pretty it's pretty good but you know there you go sometimes overhead lighting is not my bestest of friends <laughs> now i'm looking forward to rose coming on she was awesome and she's full of energy even though she says she's tired today but yeah so man, a she... brazilian butt lift lift costs the range of uh twelve thousand five hundred to almost Twenty thousand dollars plus plus tax. You look that up. Yeah. You just yeah, we really, are really talking about the butt thing. We are already. Yeah. Hey Rose. We're, 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 yeah, we started on the butt implants about five minutes ago. Rose, I cannot tell a lie. So so Andrew said, "This is a hell of an intro to a podcast, by the way." So Andrew said, "Well, what did you talk about with Rose?" <laughs> and I I said, "You know, you're not going to believe this, but we talked about you having bus." stability of you having butt implants and so that went down a, a road and andrew said you know i just admitted what, to what it. do they cost I mean, yeah no I, I i got butt implants yeah i mean it, it now you quickly got out of hand yeah, i mean did. your butt can't look like this without a little help yeah. doesn't matter how many squats i do i um i really have to claim innocence because this was totally rose's fault like she right the butt implants and it was insane kind of like does andrew have, does butt, andrew implants? have butt implants yeah i yeah, always she was wanted curious. to ask yeah but yeah, yeah. i feel like i was very much coerced and coaxed no. into this i no, know no, not at all i you know, know that you were coerced into the conversation <laughs> not at all and you know what but i'll tell you that as much as as she is disturbed by that i am disturbed by the fact she thought i would know if you had butt implants <laughs> thought, what well, you know, we were friends for a while yeah, exactly I, I mean it comes yeah. up yeah it, it does come up. up i think we should welcome <laughs> rose to the show welcome to oh, backstage yeah. lowdown rose Thanks for having me. Well, this is a you hell know, of an intro. <laughs> it is a hell of an intro. At some point, we have to record something that we can actually use. Right. So, and Andrew, believe me, Andrew will use all of the butt implant stuff. I know. Uh, yeah. Are you yeah. from Kitchener too, Lance? Uh, well, uh, not from here originally. No, I was actually from Niagara Falls, 
admitted okay. sort of quietly. And then I came here to, to go to university and a brief excursion to Vancouver uh, when I graduated. You know, you know the routine, Rose. You grab your guitars and your sleeping bag and you you move out to Vancouver to be the next best thing. And you realize, holy crap, all the music I'm doing is back in Toronto. So, right. <laughs> so I came all the way back here. But anyway, yeah. So now I, I call KW home and uh, such as it is. Yes. There you go. Cool. Nice. So not a not a, a hometown guy. How about you? Where where were you born and raised? No bragging rights whatsoever. I am a uh, born and raised Londoner, so there there's nothing to write home about that. It's it's not the good London. It's the uncool London. And so you're still there, Windsor and Toronto, where we oh, get I... all the criminals evading suspicion from both of those cities coming to our place as a sanctuary. <laughs> so that's that's how your parents met. We got yeah, that now. One hundred percent glad glad we got that conversation out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's that's that's nice. We always like to start by, you know, slagging our guest parents and their their family <laughs> tree. Just, just saying that so you're saying you're in London happens. and there are, are criminals from Windsor and Toronto coming your way. Is that what we're talking? Correct. About? It's a beautiful awesome. city. It's the forest <laughs> city. Uh, have you actually heard London's theme song? London I didn't know the theme have... song? Yes. <laughs> Yes, oh and, and Are you the, gonna... greatest, the greatest moment you will find on the internet, sometimes the internet does win and you just have those moments where you're like, my God, this is just too good to pass up, is Hitler's reaction to London's theme song. Look it up on YouTube. You will die laughing. It's so good. <laughs> Are, oh okay, my. Are you saying that, what's the song called? Hitler's reaction? No, no. The, no. the song is called London, the City of Opportunity. Uh -huh. But there is a video that some genius put together on YouTube, scenes from a World War II movie where the actor playing <laughs> Hitler uh, reacts to the greatness that is the City of Opportunity on. song. Awesome. awesome. It's a true gem. Uh, yeah, there you go. So Actually, you're not going to sing it for us tonight? I am no. no, I don't want to get uh, sued for copyright infringement or upsetting Thank the you. powers that be that put this together because it was commissioned apparently by the mayor. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, money was spent on that. 100%. Um, and once you hear it, you'll you'll understand why I'm I'm laughing and discussing this with a bit of a tone of sarcasm in my voice because it's just <laughs> so, so phenomenal in probably not the way it was intended to be. I've got a question for you, and that this is sort of linked to what you were talking about with the the city sign. And Andrew brought up the Forest City. So, sure. Rose, you've been a lot of places. I was just quickly scanning your your. I've done a deep dive, and of course, just went to the bio. But you've been a lot of places. Have you ever been down to Austin, Texas? Uh, yes, actually, uh, my my mom lives in Texas. She's married to an American. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. He's, he's He's a wonderful fellow. He was a he was a Vietnam War vet, so they've actually lived a bunch of different places uh, throughout the states, which, as a consequence, has afforded me the great luxury of being able to travel to the states quite regularly. Uh, in addition to the tra traveling that I've done just from a touring perspective, but yeah, Texas is pretty cool. I actually prefer Tennessee, though. I would choose nashville over austin frankly i would agree now that's where are you I, going i've not been to austin I, i'm getting there i'm getting there uh yeah i would say i love nashville uh but i have not been to austin however the slogan for austin unlike the forest city if you go see the sign is keep austin weird all right now that's I can respect now, so that. I, <laughs> right now my my uneducated guess on this uh, and I found this because a friend of mine just went down. So he was describing Austin. He said, Austin is so cool. It's got a great culture, totally a music vibe, a uh, very artsy city. And I'm thinking, okay, so that I'm guessing profiling would probably be a largely liberal-esque city in a right. very Republican-esque state. And so I think that is what they're referring to, that it differs greatly from like Dallas or Fort Worth saying, keep Austin weird. They call us weird that we're fine with that. Yeah, and I think that's probably a fair assessment too. Um, I don't think that London's tagline of being the forest city is nearly as as well thought out. I think it was just simply there's a lot of trees here. Does Kitchener Waterloo? Do we even have a? Do we have a thing? Do we have a? I'm sure, I'm thing? Sure every city has a thing. I, I would right? think that we have a thing. You How think is it we don't? One know of it? us should know it. No, oh, I don't God. know. I've never what? seen. Why did we even go there? I don't know. 
You right. think I did you think I knew that? Well, I didn't know how one, much you're the one with I the butt implants. I was gonna say I don't know how much they cost. Like, how would you think that I'd know that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Does the KW right. have a nickname? K dub. Okay. I yeah. think. It's yeah. not really. I think that's even less creative than London then. So I, I, I actually yeah. am surprised to say this. London might be winning the nickname job here between KW and London. Hard it's to clearly cooler. Yes, just yeah. moderately, ever so moderately. This is how badly Cambridge gets treated in life because the the nickname I've always heard is K-Dub or K-W. Right. And yet it's the Tri-City area. So right. we don't even we don't even put Cambridge Knowledge in the them. nickname. Right. And it's the Tri-City area, which is sad. You know, it's too bad. Anyway, so Rose, thank Cambridge. you for being on the show. This is the longest intro we've ever had in our life. So are we actually recording right now? Sure. We always record recording. everything. Are you kidding? Yeah. This is a pretty this is a loose, loose ship. I'm telling I'm you. Never gonna make that mistake again. <laughs> but not, but Rose, take heart. Nine more people will know who you are at the end of the hour. That it's is true. And they will obviously have a sensibility that my disdain for London runs through my veins at this point. Oh, come <laughs> on. You can't say hey. that. You choose to live there now. I don't. Have you seen how expensive house prices are, my oh, friend? Oh, it's ridiculous. Like, let's be real. It's not a choice at this point when you're literally shackled to not being able to leave because everything's so out of hand. Yeah. yeah. So safe to say there will not be a lot of Londoners purchasing the truth untold, not my time. <laughs> will not be hitting the charts in London. No, no, I have nothing against the citizens of my fine city. I just, this is not the ideal place that I would choose to live uh, if I had a choice. And I mean, London is far from the only city that's victim of this, but I mean, on account of the pandemic in a major way, what ended up happening is a huge influx of individuals from places like the GTA ended up coming down yeah. our way because remote work became a real possibility and, and a real sure. thing for a lot of people. So they no longer had to pay these insane amounts as far as mortgages or rental rates living downtown Toronto or downtown Mississauga. But as a consequence of this influx of all these uh, you know, townies, so to speak, coming into London and the rural surrounding community, it has escalated dramatically the cost of living in our parts, which we have never seen these unprecedented amounts until the past couple of years, making it literally unaffordable to leave, but also unaffordable to stay. So it's kind of a pretty crazy situation that we found ourselves in. And I mean, on the one hand, uh, you know, economists and, and realtors will argue that London was for a long time very, very much undervalued in the marketplace. I don't think that's true, though, from my own perspective, because the economic opportunities here, I'm going on a rant, I'm sorry, but the economic opportunities here have really largely always been relegated to people who are in, you know, kind of finance or sales, things like real estate, um, right. or, you know, the financial sector or banking. And so that's why basically every year we have this huge amount of students that come in to study at our Ivy League University, UWO, and then they get the hell out of here because there's a lack of job opportunities. So um, I have a lot of feelings about London. I'm not trying to bash it. I'm just saying if I had a choice, would I be living here for the rest of my life? That's a strong heck no. Yes, I get that. I get that. I think that was actually not just London, though. I think there's a there's a huge um, exodus from Ontario 100%. heading out east and yeah. people like in the little Fredericton that was enjoying, you know, pretty reasonable property costs all of a sudden is like, what's happening here? You're and, totally bang on. And and that's yeah. exactly it. it. It's affected kind of the, the real estate uh, market all across the board. And, and as I said, you know, unprecedented things that we had never seen before. I mean, a house that nobody nobody would previously want going for five to seven thousand uh exactly thousand dollars and then being overbid by an additional two hundred thousand dollars and you're like that is at best something that you would lovingly and sarcastically refer to as a fixer upper this is pure yes. insanity people yeah. and pure sometimes insanity. people would just go and tear that down yeah and just, just start fresh I mean, and to throw that sort of money at, Must be nice at a shack. To have that kind no, of exactly. 
How many musicians were doing that? I don't think there were many. To Rose's point, it was a lot of finance and real estate. There's not a lot of musicians out there buying $2 million homes. Or it's a lot of people who do property flipping, which again, that's not usually going to be the artistic types, right? So Yeah. Now, speaking of artistic types, we (laughs) got to get back to this single that we've got. We got to get talking about the single, but let's start off. Rose, you have been a musician or at least a performer since the age of four. Correct. So how long have you been a performer? You are really trying to find out how old I, I am. I don't actually. think you can ask a lady that. Well, thank hey, you. Rose and I were correct. chatting about this before. And uh, hey, we both knew what an Etch-A-Sketch was. I'm just going to leave it at that. There you go. All right. <laughs> I could have um, seen YouTube videos. You don't know for certain. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'll and tell you this. You can buy it. If, if there is anybody out there under the age of 30 that can tell me what an Etch-A-Sketch is without looking it up, I'm going to be impressed. That's pretty good. That's fair. Um, That's fair. Yeah, there you go. So, no, this is great. I'm so excited to have you on Backstage Lowdown, as is Andrew. Uh, we have not had, uh, well, we had Amanda Kind on. We haven't had a lot of female performers, and I think that's a, a really great thing to to get the female voice out there. I love talking to female guitar players, so that's exciting for me as well. How long have you been playing guitar? Right. So my musical journey, as as you indicated, kind of started at age four when my parents enrolled me in classical voice lessons. I guess they they saw within me some sort of propensity for performance. Uh, and then I started writing songs at seven. I continued my classical studies as a vocalist for about 14 years. And then I picked up the guitar when I was a teenager. And uh, <laughs> I, I was telling you in our pre-interview conversation that truthfully, picking up the guitar was kind of out of spite, um, which is a funny thing to say, but it's the truth. Uh, without getting into the gory details, long story short, somebody in, in my life at that time when I was a teenager dealing with, you know, a variety of difficulties as most teenagers do, yep, going sure. through angst and, and, you know, trying to find yourself identity-wise, They essentially said to me that I would never be a good enough musician to play any instrument. Uh, If anything, I would only be relegated to playing the tambourine. So as a feisty Italian woman raised by two very, very strong-willed parents who are self-made entrepreneurs, uh, can I swear? Absolutely. (laughs) I said, fuck that. Uh, And I spent for the next six months, six hours a day, learning how to play guitar good enough so I could accompany myself as a vocalist. I never had aspirations to be, you know, an incredible lead guitarist, though I have mad respects, mad respect for them all over the world. I think they're truly, truly talented. I just wanted to be able to write songs and to back up what I do as a vocalist. So the first song I ever learned how to play and sing at the same time was Say It Ain't So by Weezer, because the guitar rhythmically has a different rhythm than how the vocal line goes. So I wanted to deliberately choose something that would challenge me to have to be thinking in two different kinds of directions. Um, and that's basically how my guitar journey commenced. Wow, right on. And what did you say? So did you start off with an acoustic or an electric or what was the... Yeah, I deliberately chose an acoustic guitar, um, you know, for the simple reason that the frets are further apart and the strings are thicker. So it's harder to play when you're first getting started, you know, just to kind of manipulate it and get used to to moving across the fretboard and and having kind of that comfort level. And as yep. I said, like, I, I never had any aspirations to be a shredder, to be ripping crazy lead lines. So for me, when I play electric, basically the big difference between acoustic and electric is just having my distortion. Um, I do everything on acoustic that I would do on electric. I'm not really playing in a different kind of sensibility because I'm a rhythm guitarist. So I wanted to live on the more, I wanted to learn on the more difficult manifestation of a guitar that's harder to play as a female with petite hands. Uh, And so that's why I taught myself on acoustic first. And then on electric, hilariously enough, I actually use gauge uh, 12 strings, which are super thick. (laughs) Holy so it's cow. playing like an acoustic guitar anyways, because I, I downstroke so hard that if I use anything thinner, my guitar will invariably go out of tune. <laughs> wow. That's, I've never heard that before. That's interesting. Now, yeah. for those that are listening and have actually never seen Rose play in, like in person, uh, Rose, you're quite a petite woman. And to be able to drive down with that much force, that's impressive. Well, I told you I am an Italian woman. (laughs) And I mean like legit Sicilian, my friend. So 
<laughs> I come by it earnestly. And I should also mention that uh, even though this is not related at all to being an artist, uh, my parents were both professional athletes in my upbringing. So I probably inherited somewhere, somewhere in my DNA, some sort of semblance of that. My, uh, my dad, believe it or not, uh, is a two-time world powerlifting champion. Um, and my mom used to do competitive bodybuilding. So they're both wow. like ridiculously strong and in shape people. So even though I'm not, I'm just like this little string bean musician, I probably have their strength in me and some sort of capacity. <laughs> you know, there's, so I would, uh, first of all, say there's a lot of uh, similarities between athletes and musicians that they train very similar. It's or similarly, sure. it's, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat until you kind of get, get what you're doing. You got um, it. But they're raised in totally different cultures. But so you obviously learned a lot from your parents' drive and commitment and all that other stuff. I have to ask you, when you started your dating life and you had to bring your <gasps> first date home to a bodybuilder and a power lifter, describe that for me. Well, this, it, it this seems fairness. interesting to me. So Listeners all... can just, this is an aside. <laughs> In all fairness, before I got heavily involved in music, which really kind of started happening for me as a teenager who was lost and going through identity issues and, and mental health issues, I actually was heavily involved in athletics myself to the point that I have a, uh, I have a, a black belt in Shorinru karate. Um, so one of the, the first guys that I dated, I ended up beating up. <laughs> up myself because he got out of hand and inappropriate with me and so my parents pretty much knew I could take care of myself uh and that if uh if a man or a boy I should say in this circumstance because we're talking about kids at this point right if somebody was inappropriate with me they knew I wouldn't stand for it they raised me to be tough um which I, I really respect and I value it's it's not usually seen as a very feminine characteristic but I think it really, really helped prepare me, not just for the greater world, but for the music industry inadvertently, because definitely being a female, let alone a female rock musician, you are a minority in the, in the rock scene for sure. And I'm glad that my parents gave me that, that sense of, you know, strength and, uh, you know, honor and wanting to, to look out for my best interest and not compromising my values and to stand up for things when I, I feel that they're inappropriate. I think that those are values that male or female, anybody across the board should really hone and, and have for themselves. So I, yeah, long story short, they knew I could take care of myself, but suffice it to say, it's, it's usually pretty intimidating when people meet my parents, even though, you know, they're, they are elderly now. I shouldn't say elderly. They're, you know, not, you know, <laughs> ready to pass on or anything, but they're, they're not like Andrew's age. Kids. Right. Yes, they're Andrew's yeah. age. No, Andrew's they're not spring age, chickens yeah. anymore, but they, they still have a pretty intimidating sort of presence to them both. But I yeah, I just them. want to apologize to mom and dad right now about joking <laughs> of the fact that they were criminals uh, when they moved to London, because I don't need them showing up on my doorstep and putting me in a headlock and dragging me down the street. That would break yeah. your butt implants. Well, exactly. I mean, the, they the tell me they I got to be gentle. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think, well, you know what? And they gave themselves a, a great gift because clearly when you when you have a daughter that can look after herself like that, um, not just, you know, self-defense wise, but just in spirit is that tough, then you can kind of relax a little bit and maybe not well, worry 100%, about her quite And I mean, like I, I'm all for women and men and, and, you know, however you identify, uh, feeling being, feeling that you're being true to yourself and expressing who that is and who you want to mm -hmm. be and not feeling like you have to fall privy to various social conventions or, or traditions. I think to each their own, be who you want to be and, and make no apologies for it. That's always kind of the the philosophy that I've lived by, but I'm sure you can appreciate as a, a young woman growing up in the 90s when uh, things were definitely still a little bit more traditional in terms of having ideas of what being a woman meant and, and femininity. I didn't always fit in or get along with people. Uh, oftentimes when a woman is assertive or comes across as confident, people will misinterpret that or label her as a bitch. But if a man had that same kind of personality, they would be seen as kind of a leader. So it's interesting right. that there's there's still to this day that very much longstanding double standard. And I know as I'm speaking to, to men, this wouldn't be something that you've personally experienced, but it is it is a little bit frustrating at times because 
I don't think anybody should have to be apologetic for who they are if they are confident in who that person is and they know why they believe the things that they do and the values that they hold dear. And they're just trying to be themselves truthfully without going out of their way to, you know, offend anybody or piss anybody off. They're just trying to be true, right? To themselves and to everybody else and to be authentic. But but yes, sometimes we get caught up in notions of of how people should be based off of preconceptions, which I don't always think is a great thing. I think people should just be whoever the fuck they want to be. That was pretty articulate. I would agree. I think Andrew and I are both uh, fortunate enough to have married uh, strong and intelligent women. Nice. Um, well, some days. Touche, <laughs> <laughs> my friend. <laughs> uh, you know, anyway. Uh, but no, so I, you're right. We have not walked a mile in your shoes, but uh, just given the proximity we have to uh, other strong and empowered women, I think that we could probably both relate. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. So, um, and it, I think you made a point a little bit ago just about, you know, when you're in the world of performance or the arts uh, where, you know, everything you do is is like, you know, you're an example to be judged. Here's a song. Here's my talent or my lack of whatever. You really do have to have a strong sense of self because somebody might be saying, I don't like that song. They're not saying, I don't like you. They're not saying you should give up, but they're saying, I don't like that. And so if you, if you don't have a sense of self, you kind of misinterpret that. Right. So um, yeah, I think your, your point was you, you need to be strong, particularly if you're going to be in the, in the performance arts. Well, it, it's interesting too, because I mean, the, the criticisms that oftentimes I'll see female players uh, get versus male players is it it does actually become of a personal nature. So it's not just simply they don't like the song, but maybe they don't like the way that you look. And it's like, I didn't even think that was relevant to how I wrote songs, but okay. And yeah. I'm also not trying to get your validation or approval, frankly. I don't care if you find me attractive. Like, do you want to listen to what I have to say and what I'm putting out there as an artist or not? If not, no problem. There's tons of other bands and other musicians, I'm sure that appeal to you. If so, cool. Like, don't just look at it from a a superficial level. So especially with, you know, kind of the the nature of of social media and everything being so emphasized on appearances anymore, far more than it used to be. There's definitely kind of just this focus on the the superficiality of it all. And I think people often fall victim to personal attacks. But I, you know, I, I was raised very, very much with the saying that if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. So there's tons of stuff out there on the internet that I personally am not a fan of, but I also have better things in life to do than go around trolling people and making them feel like shit about themselves. And personally, you know, in my humble opinion, if somebody is going out of their way to, to just slander people or criticize them or, you know, post rude comments, I think that they need to do a little bit of soul searching themselves and, and, you know, question as to why they have so much negativity and hatred to spread, because I think, frankly, instead, we should be trying to find ways to unite and come together and spread love as opposed to hate. There's enough meanness and there's enough war and there's enough terrible things in the world that we don't need to do that kind of stuff to each other. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not, doesn't seem to be the filter there that, uh, you know, filters that stuff out now with, with as much passion and commitment um, as you have to your thoughts and beliefs, which I think is is great. Tell me about your songwriting and your songwriting process and how that comes out. Because uh, this new single, which Andrew and I were just listening to, and apparently you guys didn't hear because that was the one that came up. Um, <laughs> but tell me about, so tell me about the process of writing that song, what the message is. You and I had chatted briefly and we talked about, well, there's there might be some controversy there. So tell us about that. Walk us through that process. Sure. So um, as a songwriter, something that's that's really important to me, and it's probably just kind of an offshoot of my general personality of, of being authentic and, and unapologetic about that, is that I, I try to write from very, very real lived experiences. And I try to write songs in a way that I think they would be relatable to other people. So I'm pretty straightforward with my lyricism as a consequence, because I want people to understand what it is that I'm trying to convey. And, you know, hopefully be able to relate to what I'm saying on an emotional and visceral level. I think that's all any songwriter can hope for, that somebody listens to their tune and and they hear a little piece of their heart and a piece of their soul in it. And they're like, wow, that really, really speaks to me. I think that's that's the goal of of any, any great song. So I wrote Not My Time about the pandemic. I actually wrote it uh, about a week or so after recovering from a nasty bout of COVID myself. So it was a very... 
very real experience. Uh, and when I said, uh, not my time to die in the actual chorus, I legitimately at times was very, very scared. I think it was a uh, combination of obviously I was, I was quite ill. I'm lucky that, you know, it wasn't to the point of hospitalization. I'm so, so grateful for that. But I was scared. I was legitimately scared of what I was going through, the diff different symptoms that I was dealing with. In addition to that, I think all of the psychological warfare that the media had been playing on us for the past couple of years was really getting into my head. And I was thinking, my God, am I going to get through this? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to have you know, repercussions from this? What are going to be the, the side effects? Is they, are things going to be long lasting? And it's, it's really, really easy to spiral and go down a crazy rabbit hole, um, you know, from all of that stuff that was being spread to us uh, like crazy through the media. And so the impetus behind the song came from a really real place, you know, writing about my experience and not wanting to give up hope and, and not admitting, hey, you know, it's not my time to die. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be okay. But bigger and beyond that, I really wanted to write a song that was meant to be a uniting kind of force because something that has just broken my heart over the past couple of years is the amount of divisiveness that's happened between people who are pro the vax, anti the vax, pro the masks, anti the masks, pro the mandates, anti the mandates, pro the truckers, anti the truckers, all the, all the things that have happened to try to tear us apart as a people instead of acknowledging, holy crap, we are going through this massive universal human experience across the globe. How about we tear down all the bullshit between us and just realize and acknowledge that this is a really big deal. It's affected us all. Whether or not you lost your job, it doesn't matter. You've still been isolated from friends and family. You've been prevented from participating in the kind of social activities and hobbies that are near and dear to your soul. You haven't even been able to see people's faces. That has a psychological impact. Like there's so many different ways in which we've all been affected, whether or not we're consciously even acknowledging it, you know, on a mental level, on a physical level, if you had COVID, if you lost somebody who had COVID on an economic level. And so instead of, you know, finding reasons to hate each other and finding reasons to create more hatred and, and, you know, cruelty between each other, how about we just acknowledge we're all in kind of the thick of it. And we have all been affected in a variety of ways, and it's not our time to give up on each other. So that's kind of the overarching message that I wanted to put out there, because I was just getting really upset by all of the, the dialogue that I was hearing, you know, not just um, on a peripheral basis between, you know, seeing people comment rudely on social media articles, but also yeah. hearing about families literally getting torn apart because some members didn't want to be vaccinated and other members were like team gung-ho sign me up for my 20th shot like seriously it's nobody's right to judge somebody else for their situation without knowing all of the circumstances that that individual is going through and even still if you do know everything that that person's going through this is that person's subjective truth and their subjective experience you have no right to tell them what is right or wrong for them. And that is my honest to God opinion. So that might be a little bit controversial to say, but I think we just need to stop being so bloody judgmental of each other and looking for reasons to tear each other apart and instead come together and realize we went through this shared experience that sucked for us all. Right. And so with not and my time, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of good content in that. And, you know, we're I don't know. I think some of that's still, still maybe around, right? I mean, it feels now like the pandemic's not too far in our rearview mirror. For sure. And, and who the heck knows what's around the corner at this point? I mean, that's exactly it. We're still kind of in a state of, of flux and instability, but I don't think that we should be spending that trying to create more reasons to, to fight amongst each other. Yeah, I think there's a lot of collateral damage that came out of um, out of the pandemic that really didn't have much to do with, um, you know, COVID itself or the vaccine Correct. or not the vaccine, <laughs> just people's overall mental health, um, exactly. you know, which I think live music's playing a, a small part anyway, at, at trying to bring back people's life, um, zest for life or belief in life, that sort of thing. And that's why I love talking to musicians that are, are out there and trying to do their thing and, and people that love listening to live music, right? And so not my time, like just for those who have anybody just listening to us, um, uh, Rose Cora Perry is a female rocker. So uh, not my time is not 
you know, even though it's about some some pretty heavy stuff, it's not a it's not an acoustic ballad. This is something it's that not. really drives <laughs> and and is fun and has something to say. So these are all three great ingredients to some really good music. How long did the song take you to write, Cora? Or Rose? Why do I keep calling you Cora? I don't know. I like all three names. I'm gonna go with Perry now. That's Perry. Our- Hey, That's Barry, fine. how long did that take you to write? Come on, I'll now I got to answer. I'll answer to all of them. That's fine. Um, I actually, I'm I'm kind of a, an odd songwriter in that uh, it basically just comes out of me in one foul swoop. So uh, I'll have the idea. I'll have a, you know, a piece of the melody in my head and maybe the first couple of lyrics. I grab my guitar, I pen it all out and it gets out of my system within usually about 20, 30 minutes. And I have the whole structure figured out. I kind of have to start and finish on the spot or I'll lose the inspiration. I just have to be in the right moment. So the reason it's such a, a hard rocking tune is because obviously I was pretty raged up when I write it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I find that my best songs usually come from a place of sadness or anger or maybe combined and they make rock and roll tunes. And if that's what people dig, hey, that's awesome. And they really seem to be digging it right now. For sure. Like your song is blowing up. I, I'm very, very, very grateful for the success of the single. Like I'm blown away actually by it. So I fingers crossed that it will continue to reach more people and, and make a difference for them. Either, even if they just like it because it's a hard rock and tune. Hey, that's cool too. If the lyrics mean something to them, even better. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to listen to music and appreciate it. It's kind of nice to hear you know, I mean, there's always the underlying statement that, oh, you know, hard rock or classic rock or rock itself is dead. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if any genre is really dead. I think it's always been there. You just have to look a little harder for sometimes because they don't maybe get as much attention or promote it, et cetera. Um, so it's really nice. I love hearing some just good old fashioned rock riffs, right? That's awesome. I would, I would strongly argue against the notion that rock is dead. I don't think it's, I don't think it's dead whatsoever. I, know. I think it's been buried um and i i think that there have been many forces trying to make that happen um unfortunately i mean if if you listen to any quote unquote modern rock station they're playing things from 20 30 years ago so if there's no venue to promote new rock music well then it's easy to come to the conclusion that rock is dead i know yeah. it just you know within my own social circle countless very talented rock and roll musicians and we all play to crowds that dig rock and roll so there absolutely is an audience for and there absolutely is new music that is banging being put out there it just needs an audience and it needs a venue to be fully exploited the way that it was in the past but music is very cyclical in that you know things will be trends for for five to ten years and then kind of go out of fashion and be considered passe but I think we're on the cusp and maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I think we're on the cusp of rock making a resurgence. Um, and I think that the timing couldn't possibly be better. I think people are, believe it or not, getting sick of the auto-tuned, overproduced garbage that doesn't even require any sense of musicality and they want something that's real and authentic and speaks to them. So I'm hopeful that we will continue going in that direction. And I'm really excited to, you know, see you know strong female fronted or um female musicians out there touring again this year like uh, alanis morissette's on tour hailstorms on tour it's just it's it's so empowering and so awesome to see that they're being mm-hmm. able to, to get booked and being able to bring rock and roll back to audiences no i agree maybe some of the leftover rage from the pandemic will help fuel <laughs> i would not be surprised have you been on a highway recently because i think that is 100 yeah. fueling driving behavior and i mean i'm not being facetious i'm i'm being 100 real and and honest about this i i like you already alluded to it earlier that the mental health of everyone has been affected and just kind of you know almost had a, an aneurysm like <laughs> two and a half years that people have all of this pent up emotion and you know unsettled things in their their psyche that they don't know how to expend or deal with and i think it's just coming out in weird ways so instead of getting on the highway and driving like a maniac my friends please go to a rock and roll concert you will feel so much better connecting with other people and being able to hear music that just really speaks to you that's a much healthier way to deal with it yeah, I would agree. Well, you know, depression, it's sort of anger without the enthusiasm. So. Well, for sure. <laughs> for sure it is. 
but I think that's where we're, you know, it's, I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think rock is dead. I think monster truck and the sheepdogs to some extent, and you know, it's, it's there and it's infused in lots of different artists music, but you're right. If, if the radio stations that are supposed to be promoting new stuff are just playing the old stuff, right. And the old stuff is now anything that's, you know, five years plus or whatever, then, you know, yeah, that's, that's fair. So now are you still doing like uh, you do you have your own record label? Are you recording your own things or did you sign with another label that they're promoting this song? How's, how's that working for you? No, no, it's, it's all me. I'm a diehard DIYer. I'm very, very much live and breathe the, the punk ethos. I love it. And uh, it, it's my own record label. Everything's released under me and, you know, like legitimately getting the, the 50 stations across North America to play the song. That was me. We're not paying anybody for that. We don't have, you know, a million dollar budget behind us. That's me working my ass off, trying to get our music out to people and, you know, putting together press releases and putting together, you know, one sheets for, for publicity and, you know, just being able to, to try and push this as much as possible. That's fantastic. It's kind of that grassroots uh, type of stuff, right? Which very, is... very much. It's it's a heck of a lot of hard work for sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's 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 very, very uplifting how how awesome the results have been, and and you know how how positive and receptive people have been to this new single. And I'm hopeful when we release a follow up one. I'm not giving you a timeline on that yet, but we have some stuff in the works. Uh, I'm hopeful that the response will be just as good, if not better. I'm I'm pretty excited about what we've got kind of planned for 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 next songs that we're going to be putting out. Very cool. Now you just need spice- another twenty minutes. <laughs> I just need <laughs> twenty minutes to myself. Just gonna bang this out. It'll be fine. Pretty much. Well, I mean, it's funny, actually, like oftentimes it's like right after a really long day, I want to go to bed and, you know, I'm, I'm getting all ready. It's not glamorous. Like I got the pajamas on, I got the retainer in cause I had braces when I was a kid. So I have to wear a retainer every night. So, so sexy. I know you're <laughs> picturing it already. So I'm like, well, it's not point, butt implants, but it's okay. I mean, you know. That's true. That's true. I can't compete with the butt implants, <laughs> but Who I'm like can, at the really? point where I'm crawling into bed and then I hear this tune in my head. And I mean, it doesn't come from anywhere except for above is, is all I can say it must be divine inspiration or something but i just i hear the the start of something in my mind i'm like damn it i gotta get my guitar now and i gotta get this out otherwise i'm gonna lose it and so then i end up staying up till two or three in the morning i'm like oh i'm so fucking tired <laughs> but that's how it usually happens that's wicked no i think that's that's fair now I had the, uh, so we, we were chatting before about your, I love this phrase, and I think some somebody's got to work this into a, a song, but you have a Clark Kent identity, which I, I we right. So, so for anybody out there, like it's every Canadian musician with the exception of the one percenters, generally speaking, have to be doing something else to float the boat. Unless you're really stubborn. I never, I never wanted to be the guy that was still just playing guitar in his parents' basement at 40. That did not hold any allure to me at all. So I think that, you know, having a, a career um, that allows you to pursue your passions, I think is a much better or more sound um, approach. Anyway. Well, I think, I think there are two different kinds of breed of musicians, so to speak. There are those that only truly feel that they can do music and it has to be integrated in every aspect of their lives. Otherwise they feel like there's no point to any of this and that's fine. Then I think that there are individuals such as myself that are kind of half creative and half analytical. We've got that mixed personality wherein it's not that we're not a risk taker and we're not willing to go gung ho on it, but we're also a very practical person and we realize that there are a million talented people out there. It's not merely about the talent as far as getting success in the music industry and that it's really important to have a regular sense of stability and income coming in to fuel one's dreams. And if you're relying solely on playing a bunch of bar gigs and doing covers till three in the morning, every single night, your voice can get worn out. That's going to wear out really, really old uh, or become very, very old very quickly. Um, that's not necessarily something that I see as that glamorous to be doing, as you said, you know, when you're 40 or 50, or you could be teaching music 
And I never really wanted to do that either. It's not that I, I don't believe that music's a wonderful thing to learn and to impart on people. Absolutely. But I never really saw myself in a teaching capacity. So uh, I always did really, really well academically. And, and obviously, right. you, know, you can, you heard you wouldn't want to piss off my parents. So <laughs> when, it, when it came to making decisions for, for post-secondary education, they both very much insisted that uh, I not only went to college, but I also went to university. So I have six years of post-secondary education. No, I'm not a doctor, but I almost am. <laughs> Close. And I, I have a honors degree in social psychology, as well as a post-grad in corporate communications and public relations. Now I have managed to acquire those skills and, and transfer them into what I've done on a musical capacity, believe it or not, especially understanding human psychology. That's very, very much come into handy when it's come, come to writing songs. And it's also become a really important speaking point because obviously something that we've already alluded to is that mental health issues is something that I'm, I'm involved in. Um, very, very much as an artist and as a performer. In fact, that's how I know Andrew, because my band regularly participates in a suicide awareness, suicide fundraising concert every single year in Kitchener-Waterloo called Strummerfest, okay. which is a phenomenal cause if you're not aware of it. Right. So my background has ended up coming in handy, but my Clark Kent identity is not nearly as glamorous as being on, on stage and, and rocking out to people. Uh, I essentially find people for jobs for a living. I'm a recruiter and <laughs> it's not glamorous. It's very demanding work, but I also am pretty darn good at it. And I'm happy, especially in today's very, very uncertain economic times. And especially over the past couple of years where many of my musician friends who literally only had music to rely on for an income, they had no right. other means of supporting themselves. I'm very, very thankful that I had that sense of stability over these past couple of years, especially because it was extremely distressing and depressing to not be able to go out there and perform and to fulfill that part of my mm -hmm. soul. But at least I didn't have to worry on top of that about whether or not I could pay my bills. I can't even imagine how much more difficult and more stressful that would have been for my music friends. So I know that that probably doesn't sound as exciting to your listeners as, as we'd love to foresee that, you know, all I am is the glamour that I put on social media and I'm just playing rock concerts every day of my life, but I'm a very practical, very grounded person. And I believe that, you know, as many, as many people are out there, you know, super talented and deserve to make it. It's, it's very, very much a, a rare kind of exception that it actually happens for you. Uh, I'm, I'm realistic about that. So I'm just thankful for every opportunity that I've ever had and thankful for everyone who's been willing to show me support along the way. No, I think that's right. I think it's important. I guess I brought that up because uh, in some universe where there's a young uh, female thinking about picking up a guitar, I, I can't imagine why she's listening to Backstage Lowdown. <laughs> However, if, if by any chance there's some that's young you. girl out there yeah, thinking about picking up a guitar, um, you know, listening to Rose's experience and Rose's story should inspire you to do that. Regardless of what you do with that skill or talent, uh, she shouldn't be able to inspire you to, because I find guitar, uh, like I picked up, it's just, as a kid, it's like, it's cheap therapy. You know, well, I, I, I can calm myself by playing guitar. I can, you know, um, but I think it's, it's important for everyone to realize uh, that they can, they can do that stuff, but to have something else, um, that kind of floats the boat. I don't know. That's, that's not, it's not, not copying out. It's, it, right? it yeah. gives you, it just gives you a little bit like less stress, it's right? Why be stressed? Yeah. It's, it's, honestly, like it's, yeah. it's just, it's being practical. And I, I don't see a problem with that, frankly, because yeah. I, you're, you're right. Like I would rather be able to, to live my life with that sense of stability you know, especially in uncertain times with all the performances recently being canceled and stuff. Like, I mean, I, I sure. just, I, my heart goes out to anybody who was affected in a far more significant way than we were as a band. Yeah, it sucked. We couldn't play for, for quite some time. We couldn't go visit many of our friends in the, in the States, including, you know, my mom. I haven't seen her literally in three years at this point. It's absurd. Wow. That's tough. Yeah. It is tough for sure. But at least, as I said, I didn't have to worry about my income. I'm so so, so grateful for that. And I think that that kind yeah. of brings up a really, really important point about doing music in general or doing any kind of creative, 
or athletic or any kind of one of those passion pursuits in general. So do it. If you fail, that's fine. At least you're not going to live your life in regret. It's always better to try things and, you know, do what you can with it. There's no measure of success that necessarily is universal. It's just, if it makes you happy, even if you're literally just playing around a campfire during the summer for your friends, if that gives you fulfillment, you don't need to do anything beyond that as a music musician. If you want to instead go to LA and try to make it, you know, and, and, you know, give up all of your savings to do so. Hey, that's fine too. I mean, to each their own there, there, as I said, there, there's no judgment and there, there shouldn't be, I, I think you just need to find your own path and, and figure out what that means to you and, and figure out how to make your dreams kind of manifest in that kind of capacity. There, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just what has to make sense for you as a person. I think that's a good point. I like your line there. If it makes you happy, if Cheryl Crow happens to be listening, you could probably do something with that. <laughs> Can't be that bad, right? If it makes you happy, if it makes you happy. Why are you so sad? I there don't you have understand. It, my friend. <laughs> well, if you are so sad, I think that you have not put a lot of thought necessarily into how you are manifesting your passion. If it's making you sad, then you need to rejig and retool things. Uh, yeah. Rose, Maybe why don't you yeah. tell us about music saves? Sure. That was a very odd segue, but <laughs> oh, yeah. I tried to I tried to uh, slip it in very gently and tried to transition in, but the two of you just kept going and going, and so I just I before you guys said anything else, you went I just, for it. I just dropped it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so Corey Feldman style, you went yeah. for it. What yeah. is music saves? So Music Saves is a, a non-for-profit organization that I developed as an offshoot of my record label so that I could be involved in more kind of um, fundraising and, and non-for-profit sort of causes. Um, so it's a foundation that I started specifically with the aim of trying to impart onto struggling youth and, and depressed youth the importance of finding a healthy outlet and a healthy way to be able to cope with whatever it is that you're going through. And the reason it's called Music Saves is because I can quite accurately say uh, that music saved my life. I, I definitely went through some pretty tremendous struggles as, as a teenager um, from a self-esteem issue or from a self-esteem stance, from a bullying stance. There were times where I felt very, very low. Um, it, it's not an exaggeration to say at times I was suicidal. I was struggling with you know eating disorders. I had a variety of things going on that were really, really contributing to me being in a, a very negative headspace and not really seeing um, kind of the point to, to moving forward, not feeling like anybody else out there understood me. And how that changed, believe it or not, for me was becoming a musician and becoming involved in the music scene. I, you know, I remember going to my first couple of concerts at my favorite hometown venue, rest in peace, it's not with us anymore, but call the office. And looking around and seeing a bunch of weird freaks like me. And it's like, wow, for the first time in my life, I, I actually felt like I fit in and people understood me. And I was in a place where no one was judging me for being different or weird or eccentric. It was just like, we all just kind of came together for this, this shared love of music and, and all the differences kind of melted away. And then witnessing my first couple of concerts, yet alone, let alone playing my first couple of concerts and seeing how powerful music was as a language to people and, and having people come up to me and saying that my lyrics really, really meant something to me. So obviously there was something, something to it in terms of music being this really, really powerful thing. And so I wanted to, to put together an organization to sort of draw attention to that. And through putting together my organization, I've been able to take part in fantastic events like Strummer Fest. We also do another uh, annual one in Windsor called Caner Fest. I've also been involved as a, an MC and master of ceremonies for, for different um, mental health initiatives like Defeat Depression here in London. I've been their, their longstanding MC for, I think, about five or six years. So it's allowed me to kind of um, take my music in a way where it's not simply just about performance, but also about the emphasizing the message and the importance of how music can really, really be a wonderful coping tool and a wonderful way to kind of deal with all those gnarly emotions that you can't seem to get out another any other way. And instead of promoting the ideology of the, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll image being glamorous, trying to 
turn that upside down and instead see music as kind of a positive thing and tear away those those negative images because I don't think the glamorization of of drugs is helping anybody. <laughs> In fact, I think it does the opposite. Mm-hmm. So I would rather like let's look at music as a therapy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, there's a lot there's a lot in there. I think that's uh yeah, those are all really good points. Just about every musician I think I've ever met talks about the therapeutic side to their playing and their writing, um, you know, their way to express themselves in a really healthy manner, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So yeah, for I sure. Agree. I think most musicians, to be honest, the reason that they they pick up a guitar or they they start singing or they they start playing the drums or or the bass or, or what have you, you know, the ukulele, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. in the first place, is because they have some sort of they have some sort of repressed emotion that they're not really sure how else they can communicate in a way that other people are going to understand. And even if you just listen to a powerful instrumental song, there's no lyrics there. You can still feel what that person was thinking and going through when they put together that composition. And that's what I mean. Like, it's just, it's such a universal language where it doesn't matter what religion you are or or gender you are or socioeconomic status. You can have two people with vastly different backgrounds both bob their head or tap their toe to the same song is just be like yeah i get it right and that's a yeah. really really fucking cool thing unless they've picked up the recorder and then that's that <laughs> doesn't apply you can't make excuses for that or no i can't i'm i'll give you the ukulele i might even give you the tambourine but nobody should ever pick up the recorder that's just a bad decision not even for three blind mice i mean i know come on come <laughs> on I'll tell you this, if three blind mice is saving your life, then that's, uh, that's, wow. That is like, things have gotten bad. I will admit to that. Those are some uh, very powerful lyrics. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's true. Now, you know what? I don't want to, I don't make light. You know, Rose, that's it. Those are very, very good points. I think that's, that's awesome. Rose, I have a little secret to let you in on. And I hope that Andrew's got it ready. But anyway, Is it more about it, butt implants. Like, and, I don't, no, no, no more no, about my butt. Right but, but Rose, if you want to get together and talk about Andrew's butt sometimes, call me. Call okay. me up. We can do that. <laughs> right. um, yeah, that's fine. Anytime you know Thanks, what? Guys. I think it's on a, on a day you're feeling kind of down. You know, you can't find your guitar for whatever reason. I think I'll call Lance. Talk about Andrew's. I, I have multiple guitars. That should not be. A <laughs> As a matter of fact, she'll go out and buy a guitar just to avoid that conversation. That's probably true. I would. <laughs> no offense, I, Andrew. I appreciate wow. it, Rose. I appreciate it. Whew. That's, wow. a, that's a save right there. <laughs> she had me at multiple guitars. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so at the end, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. I think that we're going to finish this off with a rapid fire round. Oh, we're going to we're just about to promote. Yeah, exactly. We're we're going to hit you with some like A and B sort of questions, and you just have to give us an answer. So are and, the answers uh, A or B? No, no. Like are you say, yes like no. Like Lance always likes to go with shoes or boots as an example as a question. Oh, it's easy. Oh, I, Rose, shoes I, or I boots. boots, and then yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a boots girl, and. You know, you are a boots girl. The context. (laughs) You are a boots girl. Okay, but you know, see, Rose, this is a very unscientific but quick way for all of our listeners, all nine, to actually get to know you pretty quickly. So, So, and and, psychoanalyze me? Then is that what? Absolutely not. We we no, yeah, we do that later. We do that off the air. (laughs) We psychoanalyze two completely unqualified morons psychoanalyzing you yeah, yeah. That's we're gonna just, bring just, in some freudian that's like what you need yeah too, right? yeah that's right that's the next show that's right so i'm gonna hit you with the first one firebird or camaro camaro fender but if you had or... said trans am i would have said trans am <laughs> fender or daisy rock daisy rock obviously i'm sponsored by them come on <laughs> <laughs> hey just we're just just tell me that let's talk about daisy rock two seconds i'm not going to interrupt your rapid fire daisy rock tell me yes. quickly about it for young girls that are thinking about p- picking up guitars yeah daisy rock was the revolutionary pioneer company the very first company that that did this probably about 20 or so years ago came out and created guitars that are super lightweight 
where they have short scale frets. So they're easier for a petite woman as Andrew has met me in person. He can contest to this. I'm only five, four, about 110 pounds. And uh, it's easy for me to have the weight of that guitar on my shoulder because it's only about six or seven pounds. The frets are super close together too. So because I've got a small hand span, it's much easier for me to transition from chord to chord. So they're a phenomenal company. I'm honored to have been their first ever Canadian sponsored female. And that's a sponsorship I've continued since I was about 18 years old. So quite longstanding. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I ran into those, that crew uh, out at, at NAM one year. And I just thought this is amazing. I, so anyway, okay, go on, Andrew. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Iced tea or Long Island iced tea? Iced tea. I don't drink any alcohol. I'm straight edge, <laughs> my friend. There you go. Pen and paper or laptop? Ooh. Pen and paper. Electric or gas? In what context? <laughs> <laughs> I need a little bit more background. Oh, that's a new one, Rose. That That's a new one. I have not heard that <laughs> one before. Electric or gas? Let's, let's like think a vehicles. fireplace? Or what are let's, you talking about? Uh, let's what think vehicles. What are talking about? Vehicle. Oh, let's talk vehicles. about vehicles. All right. All right. A, a car? A car. I want a real car and I don't want to die a terrible fiery death. <laughs> okay. Okay. Massey Hall or Budweiser stage? Massey Hall. Rush or Nickelback? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> oh, thank you. Veto of that question. Really? Venom. So you're not, you're not like, there's no one of those you have a predilection to? No, I don't I like actually... frog. And any self-respecting Canadian does not like Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> Denim or leather? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. Again, it's it's so situational. It Denim is. for jeans, but leather for jackets. Okay, folk or punk? Punk. And your last question: Night owl or early bird? Oh, night owl. I hate waking my ass up in the morning. <laughs> and that has been another session of Backstage Lowdown. Nice job, Rose. Thanks for hanging out with us today. No, thanks for having me. Rose, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. And I'm sorry for getting a little ranterific there. but I love uh, it. <laughs> I'm no, no, I love a good rant. You know what? That's great. I hope that we at some point did talk. We talked about like the single and we could find a YouTube and you know, right. Like that did get in there somewhere. For like maybe five seconds. <laughs> uh, quickly. Yeah, Rose, well, where, where can people see you this summer? Uh, so we're still uh, working on releasing some tour dates, but okay. everything kind of updated would be on our website. So just Beautiful. my, my name, obviously Rose, like the flower Cora C O R A. And then Perry, like Joe Perry from aerosmith.com. I'm going to start a, a rumor that we're related and then maybe get a high profile lawsuit and maybe that will launch my career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Beautiful. Nice. Okay. And then Steve Perry, where does he fit into that? He'd be he like doesn't. the long lost brother. He doesn't. He doesn't. No. doesn't. I have higher standards. <laughs> family's family. Voice. All right. Yeah. Family's family. All right. Matthew Perry. Cool. Anyone? Oh, no. God. And Katie Perry's just... a fake. Her last name is Hudson. What? Oh. Look it up. I promise you. <gasps> they changed it because they thought it would get too confusing with the actress, Kate Hudson. Right. So right. her last name isn't even Perry. She's not a real Perry. Mm. Is Kate even a real Hudson? Who the hell knows? Oh, Hard man. I mean, she's Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell's daughter, isn't she? Kate Hudson. Uh, no, she's uh, Goldie Hawn and um, hmm. I can't remember. But it's not, it's not oh, Kurt Russell. It's, it's not, not Kurt? Her, he's the stepdad, but oh, okay. um, yeah, her oh, and Oliver Hudson, her brother, also right. an actor. Right. Why do I know this? This is taking up valuable brain space in my head. Anyway, they you are the product like of Goldie. Hollywood nepotism deep dive. I, yeah, I don't know where this is going. Anyway, yeah, so they are the product of Goldie Hawn and this other gentleman whose name I cannot remember. But anyway, we'll whatever. Have, have We're all looking it up after the show ends. Is so your is name Andrew Stewart? And have you ever been asked Andrew? Is, is that your real name? Has people have you asked yeah. you that? Never. No, no. There's too many of us. They, they just assume this is what I was born with. <laughs> well, yeah. funny, funny story I'll leave you with. Harry, the way I spell it, is not the true spelling of my last name. 
um, when I say legitimately, like I, I come from Sicilian ancestry, that is not an exaggeration. And when my ancestors uh, came over from Italy, half of them defected to the US and half went to Canada. So it is possible I'm related to Joe Perry in some sort of bizarre circumstance. But uh, Perry was originally spelt P-E-R-I, but they had to change it and anglicize it to evade authorities because there were legitimate mafia ties. True story. I love that story. Why didn't we open with that? <laughs> no. Why did we not That's, open uh, with that? If I if I've put this together correctly, so Andrew, that's that's even more cement. reason to apologize to her parents. Yeah. yeah. Cement shoes in your just, future, my friend. Just let me know where I need to send the gifts to. Yeah. There will be a package there tomorrow morning. <laughs>